Hey, uh, you know, this is the first year in about five years that we did a VBS. So this was kind of a big thing for us in bringing it back. And I just want to start out by saying thank you to so many of you guys who gave so much time and energy to VBS before it, during it, after it, the people who built the sets, the people who donated items, the people who put the videos together. This really was something. If you guys remember back in March when I first started talking with you guys about VBS, my heart was that it wouldn't just be this thing that the children's ministry put on, but something that we together as a church could get to rally around. And that really is what it became. So thank you guys so much. It was really cool. Um, I know for some of you guys you weren't able to be involved, but that's why we wanted to make Sunday part of VBS as well, so that way we could all be a part of this together, because it really was a very cool thing. My hope right now is, especially for some of you, you parents that, that weren't really able to be around during the week, I wanted to let you know some of what we taught through during the week with your kids. We talked a lot about this guy, Jesus, because he's pretty cool. And, uh, and our hope is, like, again, one of the things that I feel very strongly as a children's pastor at this church is that we want to do what we do with our kids excellently. But Ephesians 6.4 makes it very clear that the responsibility to train up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord lies with their parents, and specifically fathers. So in no way do we ever want to replace you. But what we want to do is we want to come alongside you and be an aid to you. So what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you the heart of what we taught your kids. So that way, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can hear it and understand it. And maybe even for the first time today, choose to follow Jesus. Or even if you already are a follower of Jesus, this just gives you, gives you great fodder for conversation with your kids to talk with them about what they've been learning about the Lord. We started out on Monday morning talking about creation, talking about how God created the entire world out of nothing, using nothing, out of nothing, and he didn't use any materials to build it other than his words. He spoke and it happened. With words, God created everything. God's word is powerful. God's word is creative. He says it and it happens. There's no one else who has power like that. But then we learn later on that God took some of the something that he made. He took a pile of dirt and he fashioned it into a man. And then he breathed into the man and he became a living being. The Bible says that God created mankind, man and woman, differently from the rest of, the crea of creation because he created them in his image, in his likeness. We talked with the kids how it's almost like God created us to be mirrors of what he's like. Just like when you look at your face in a mirror and you see an accurate reflection of what you look like. That's what God was seeking to see in us. And we talked about then how God created humans with this unique ability, this really cool ability to reproduce and make more and more and more and more people until the entire earth would be filled with these little images of God, these little mirrors of God. Like a giant disco ball floating in space is what we called it. But then we learned about how it didn't stay that way. That people, instead of seeking to live as reflections of God and what he's like, we chose instead to live for ourselves, for our own glory, to make the rules for ourselves. How God's enemy, Satan, came into this garden where Adam and Eve, the two first people, were. And he tempted them, saying, no, you don't need to obey God. You can do your own thing. And not only that, in doing your own thing, you will become as great as God. You will be just like him, knowing good and evil. Well, sadly, Adam and Eve chose to listen to what Satan said instead of God. And they did know good and evil, but it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a good thing. They became filled with fear and shame. And not only that, God had let them know very clear that if they disobeyed him, the result would be death. And so their bodies began to get old and break down, and eventually they did die. 
But the Bible makes it clear that death isn't the only problem that comes from our sin, but every other problem that we see in our world, conflict between nations, sickness, disease, all of it comes from the problem of sin within our hearts. We set up that first day how we need to be saved. On our own, we are broken and separated from the God who created us, and that is not a good thing. But even though God had every right at that moment to simply wipe us off the face of the earth, instead, God chose instead to embark upon upon a plan to save us that spanned over thousands of years. And at the very center of God's rescue plan is Jesus. Now, when Jesus first came on the scene and began to preach, there was one consistent message that Jesus would always preach. And it's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus would say this. He'd say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel or believe the good news. Throughout the week, we kept telling the kids, we have good news, good news. And on Monday, we talked about the good news that Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he came bringing God's kingdom. He came to bring everything in heaven and on earth back under God's good rule. And then he called people to repent. Does anybody remember, any of the kids remember, what did that word repent mean? Yeah, what did it mean? To turn around, exactly. We talked about how it's like when you're driving with your parents in the car and they realize they're going the wrong way, so they make a U-turn and they go back the right way, right? Unless they're stubborn and then they'll say, no, no, I know that I'm going the right way and they won't turn around. (laughs) That's what repenting means. Now, oftentimes in the Bible, when this word repent is used, it's talking about how God has a right and a duty to judge sin, to punish sin. So turn from your sin unless God punishes you. Does that make sense? But here, I don't think that Jesus is talking about turning because of punishment. Here he's saying, turn, repent, because it's good news. Because it's good. The way I illustrated it for the kids was I asked them if they liked chocolate. You guys remember that part? And then I I offered one of the kids a Tootsie Roll. But then once I gave her the Tootsie Roll, I started talking to her going like, but is a Tootsie Roll really chocolate? Or, I mean, like, seriously, like, when you, talk about, when you think about the taste of a Tootsie Roll versus the taste of, like, pure milk chocolate, does it taste the same? No, not only that, does it feel the same in your mouth? No, it doesn't, like, melt and get all kind of saucy and good in your mouth. No, it's like wax, kind of. And so we talked about how a Tootsie Roll is a cheap, waxy substitute for chocolate. And so then I asked this girl, I said, I said, would you, I have something better for you. But first, you need to repent. You need to give me back the Tootsie Roll to find out what I have for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you have to trust me that what I have is better. The first girl that I called up, she didn't want to. She's like, no, I've got this in my hand. I don't know what you have, but at least I have this, so I'm good with this. And oftentimes that's what we do in our lives. We fear the unknown, so we stick with what we know, even if it's a cheap, waxy substitute for the love and the fulfillment and the happiness that God wants to offer us in following him. Then another girl came up, and I gave her a tootsie roll. And I said, I got something better. Do you want to find out what it is? She's like, yeah. She gives it back to me. And I pulled out this over-a-pound huge milk chocolate bar and gave it to her. And I was hilarious. All the kids started applauding and clapping. And then throughout the rest of the week, they kept asking me if they could have chocolate as well. (laughs) The whole point of that illustration was to talk about what it means to repent because of good news. Repent becomes something's better. Oftentimes, I think we struggle with repenting because we don't really believe that Jesus is better than the things that we're trying to find fulfillment in. 
But it was cool because right after this verse, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and he comes across a couple of sets of brothers who are fishermen and they're mending their nets. And Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, if you follow me, you won't just catch fish, you'll catch men. And these guys with no knowledge of Jesus other than that leave their livelihood and everything and set off to follow Jesus day and night for the next three and a half years. They had no idea, but they trusted him that he was offering something better. And then it was amazing because the rest of the week we started to talk about what it was that they discovered about Jesus. On Tuesday, we talked about the good news that Jesus has power to fix everything that has gone wrong because of our sin. We watched as Jesus calmed the storm on the sea simply by speaking to it. Then there was the man who had the legion of demons inside of him. And Jesus, again, with a word, takes those demons out of him, puts them into a herd of 2,000 pigs who run down the sea or run down the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and drown. Then immediately Jesus goes to the other side of the lake and he's walking through a crowd and a man named Jairus comes up to him and says, teacher, come quickly. My daughter is sick. If you just come, I'm sure that you can heal her. And Jesus goes, okay, let's go. But it's a huge crowd and people are pressing around him on all sides and he can't move very quickly. All of a sudden, in the midst of this crowd is a woman who had been sick for 12 years and she had spent all of her money on doctors to try to make her better, but they had made her worse. But she heard that Jesus was coming through and she thought in her head, man, Jesus has such power. I bet you if I even just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. So she gets her way through this crowd and pushes all the people aside and gets right up to Jesus and she reaches out and she touches the bottom of his robe and instantly she knew that she had been healed from her suffering for 12 years. Like that, she was healed. And it says that Jesus immediately knew that power had gone out from him. So he turns around and he goes, who touched me? But there's a huge crowd and everyone was pressing on him from every side. So people are looking at him going, well, I touched you. I touched you too. We all touched you. We're all pressing against you. But he's like, no. No, I know power went out from me. And then this woman comes, trembling, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she tells him the whole truth. And he looks down at her, and he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Immediately as he's talking to this woman, two men come from Jairus' house and tell him, I'm sorry, your daughter has died. You don't need to bother Jesus anymore. There's no more rush because she's already gone. But Jesus looks at Jairus, and he says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he goes with him to the house, and everyone is mourning and wailing. And Jesus, it almost seems insensitive. Jesus goes, what are you all crying about? She's not dead. She's asleep. And they're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We know. We were here. You just got here. What the heck do you know? So he pushes everybody out of the house, and he just takes the mom and dad and a couple of his disciples, and he goes in, and he sees this lifeless body laying on this little bed in the corner. And he goes, and he takes her cold hand, And he says, little girl, it's time to get up. And she sits up and she probably stretches and yawns and they give her something to eat. She's back to life like that. With the word and with the touch of Jesus' hand, he brought a dead person back to life. No one has power like Jesus. But then on, on Wednesday, we talked about the fact that If all Jesus does is fix the things that go wrong because of our sin, but he can't fix our sin, that's kind of just like bailing water out of a sinking boat. If you don't fix the hole in the boat, water's going to keep coming in, and no matter how much water you can bail out of that thing, the boat is never going to be fixed. Jesus has to go deeper. He can't just fix sicknesses. He can't just bring people back from the dead. He's got to get to the cause of those problems, the, the sin that's within our hearts. 
But this is something that Jesus can't just fix with a word. He can't just look at somebody and say, you're forgiven and that's it. Because those sins deserve death. And that death has to be dealt with. So on Thursday, we told the story of how Jesus, with all the power in heaven and on earth, he knew that his enemies were plotting to arrest him and put him to death. But he didn't do anything to stop them. He didn't even fight back. He allowed them to tie him up and beat him and place a crown of thorns on his head and have him carry a cross outside the city so that they can nail him to it, set it up, and he could hang there to die. And even as he's hanging there, the people are going, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. You healed other people. Why don't you save yourself? Then we'll believe in you. And at the very moment that it looks like God's enemies have succeeded in stopping his rescue plan, what they didn't know was that they had done the very thing that would win the victory. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible to forgive our sins because he dealt with the death that our sins deserve. You see, because Jesus is the only person who never sinned, he is the only person who never deserved death. I couldn't die for your sins because I have my own sins to deal with. In the same way, you can't die for my sins because you have your sins to deal with. But because Jesus had no sin, his death could serve as a substitute for someone else. And because Jesus was not just an everyday guy like you and me, but he is in fact the Son of God, his one death could pay the penalty to cover the sins of everyone who believes. The verse that we showed the kids was from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. I love this verse. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all. He was righteous. He had no sin. We were unrighteous. We had sin. But he died in our place. And he did it to bring us to God. Think about that. Sometimes we like to think of salvation, of what Jesus did in dying for our sins, as kind of that get-out-of-jail-free card that we get in Monopoly. Or it's kind of like on your video game system, hitting the reset button to restart the game if you failed and you died on that level or whatever. That's not the reason why Jesus came. He didn't just come to give us a fresh start so we could try again. The problem that happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God was that they were separated from him. That amazing, unique relationship that they were created to share with God was broken. So Jesus came, died for our sins to bring us back to God, to make it possible that now, finally, we can be reconnected with the God that we were created to know and love forever. And not just in this life, but forever, because look at how the verse ends. It says that Jesus was put to death in the body, but he was made alive by the Spirit. You see, because three days later, after Jesus died, he was laying in a tomb, and his enemies had rolled a big, huge stone over the entrance of the tomb, and they'd even stationed guards at the tomb because they knew that Jesus claimed that he would rise from the dead. And they didn't think it was possible. They were worried that Jesus' followers might come and try to steal his body and put on this whole charade that Jesus rose from the dead. What they didn't know, the guards were looking in the wrong direction. They were looking outside the tomb for someone to come in and take Jesus' body. What they never expected was Jesus, that same guy who was laying dead in there for three days, would come back to life and stand up and walk out. But that's exactly what happened. Not only did Jesus, uh, by his death on the cross, defeat sin, by rising from the dead, he defeated death. Our two great enemies that stood against us, that we were powerless against, sin and death, have both been beaten through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is good news. 
Then after that, Jesus ascended back into heaven with the promise that one day he would return. And when he returned, he would usher in a new heaven and a new earth in which all sickness and suffering would be gone. And not only that, all evil would be gone and all evildoers would be gone. But for those evildoers who do what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, who repent and believe the good news that he can save them, that he is bringing God's kingdom, Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day and he will be with me in this perfect heaven and on earth forever. But before Jesus, rose from, before Jesus went back up into heaven, he left his followers with a command that they needed to take this good news that he could save people to all the world. That's why for the last 2,000 years, that's what Jesus' followers have been about. They've been taking this good news about Jesus from Jerusalem where they were to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here today. If you look on a globe, you've got Jerusalem on one side of the globe, you've got Southern California on the complete opposite side of the globe. We really are the ends of the earth from where this whole thing started. And the fact that we are here on this morning talking about Jesus shows that this good news has gone from one end of the earth to the other. But even here where we live, there are so many of our neighbors and our friends and our family who don't know this good news yet. Or even if they know this good news, have chosen not to follow Jesus. So we've still got work to do. Not only that, each new generation that's born needs to hear this good news too. That's why we're here. That's why we put on VBS. So that way we can preach this good news to every generation. But not only that, there are many places around the world where the good news of Jesus still has never gotten. I read a statistic that there are 5,900 different languages in the world. And of those 5,900, 2,000 of those languages still do not even have a single verse of Scripture in that language. We've got work to do. Especially when we're talking about hard-to-reach areas that are away from big cities, like, like the jungles in Papua New Guinea. That's why you probably heard your kids talking a lot about Mike and Tippy Littlefield. They're a family from our church. Mike has taken a lot of time and a lot of years to get training as a pilot and as an airplane mechanic so that he can be a missionary pilot to fly missionaries into tribes in the middle of the jungles in Papua New Guinea so that they can work there and live there and bring the gospel there and translate the Bible into that language. We had these really cool, uh, uh, Jesse Wakeway made us these really cool, they look like old-time gas pumps with a big sparklets bottle on the top of it. And we had to give the kids these little banks and we told them to ask for loose change, ask to do chores around the house, do whatever you can because we got to help the little fields get over there so they can bring this good news to people who've never heard about Jesus. I was hoping I'd have a total for you of how much money was raised, but we have like three completely full sparklets bottles of like change and paper money and if anybody wants to help us count it and you're trustworthy, let me know. Because hopefully by next week we can let you know how much money our kids raised to help get God's word where it hasn't been before. But for some of you guys who may not know about Mike and Tippy, I wanted to show you guys one of the videos. We showed the kids a little video each day to teach them a little bit more about what the little fields were going to be doing. And this is the one from Friday. So everybody look at the screens and watch this video. This has been really fun this week. I have had such a good time being with you. We've talked about God We've talked about the Bible. We've talked about the little fields, a lot about the little fields. Now, today you learn about uh, Christ telling his disciples to go and disciple all nations. Well, you know, we all need to go. We're all commanded to go. The little fields, however, they're going a lot farther than a lot of us will ever go. So let's hear from them about what they're going to be doing when they're in Papua New Guinea. 
Mississippi. Why are we going to Papua New Guinea? Well, I'll tell you what. There. <laughs> I gotta start. <laughs> Do you think there's kids in Papua New Guinea that need to know about Jesus? Yes. Do you think you want to help them know about Jesus? Yes. Do the people in Papua New Guinea know about Jesus? Um, yes. They do? Yes. Does everybody in Papua New Guinea know about Jesus? Yes. Why are we going there then? Because it's a fun place. We're going to Papua New Guinea so that I can fly airplanes so that these people can translate the Bible so that people can have the Bible. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, and your precious in the sight, Jesus, as the little children of the world. Do the people in Papua New Guinea have the Bible? What are you going to eat in Papua New Guinea? The flies. Do you think that there's little kids in Papua New Guinea that need to know about Jesus? Yes. Do you think you should go help them to know about Jesus? Yes. Why is Daddy flying airplanes in Papua New Guinea? Um, I don't know. One of the main reasons why we're going to Papua New Guinea is because there's so many kids in Papua New Guinea, just like you guys, who have never even once heard about Jesus. And the reason they haven't heard about Jesus is because they do not have the Bible. They don't even have one verse of the Bible. They've never even heard John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we want to go to Papua New Guinea and help the Bible get translated into their language so that they can know about Jesus and know about how to go to heaven. The Littlefield family's heading off to Papua New Guinea on July 29th, so l- less than a month away. I think Mike and Tippy are actually going to be out there in the lobby at our little baggage claim area after the service. Kids, you guys know them. You saw them around all week. So go say hi and introduce them to your parents. We want to really send them out well. I, it's been so exciting for me as a children's pastor. I, I feel like we've never done a better job of including our kids in the sending out of one of our families to the mission field than we've done this week. So please be praying for them. Your kids got little bracelets during the week that said, pray for the little fields. Work on that with them. Remind them to pray for Mike and Tippy and the kids because they're going to need a lot of prayer. Not only that, every time that we talked about praying for the little fields, Tippy would go, If you pray for us, pray for the people over there. Pray for the people of Papua New Guinea. Don't just pray for us. Pray for the people who need to hear God's word that are over there. Here's what I want to do towards the end here. I want to just, again, thank you guys so much for all the time and effort that got put into VBS. It was so awesome. So many of you guys put so much time and love. I feel like... Honestly, I got to see us work together as a church in some really cool ways this week. I feel like we all really learned a lot about working together and binding together. But what I want to do right now is I want to just talk with you a little bit about what I see the purpose being of doing an event like VBS. Why do we take one week out of the year and make such a big deal? Well, we do it because there's 51 other weeks in the year. And what we want to do on this one week was it's, we want it to be something that this event would propel us on toward greater faithfulness and greater unity together as a body throughout the rest of the year. Sometimes it's hard with events. Sometimes the event can be so big that after the event there's such a letdown and there's almost a sense of, I guess we'll wait till next year. No, that's not the point. The point of taking one week is to propel us on to be even more faithful and to work better as a church over the rest of the year. That's even the same point with our Sunday gatherings like this. 
The point of Sunday is not just Sunday. The point of Sunday is so that we can get together, worship our God, learn from his word, and then go out from this building and be faithfully working toward his mission for the other six days of the week. If you're someone who your walk with Jesus basically just looks like coming to church on Sunday, I'm so glad you're here. Please don't stop coming, but please know there is so much more to following Jesus than that. Don't live your life like sometimes those guys that you see at the gym who seem like they really love to lift weights in front of the mirror so that they can see themselves lifting weights in front of the mirror. Like there's really no purpose to their physical fitness other than that vanity. And we've got to really protect ourselves against the events that we do as a church being something that we do for the sake of the event instead of for the sake of the gospel impacting where we live and the people that we live with. That's why we've done VBS. Use our weekly gatherings and events like VBS to be something that causes you to bind together with other believers and be faithful throughout the rest of the week. I was so excited to hear about so many people who invited family and friends to come to VBS It was really cool just as we were teaching to see so many kids who it was obvious they had never heard this before. You know, a lot of times what I do is I get to teach predominantly church kids. So with church kids who've grown up in the church, I start telling a story like Jesus calming the storm. And before I even start, I get that look like, oh yeah, I know this one. But it's so cool when you get kids who they've been hearing about this Jesus and his amazing power all week. And then on Thursday, they're going, wait, what do you mean he's letting himself be killed? What in the world is going on? And then you see the excitement when we start to talk about how his heart began to beat again and his body sat up and he walked out of that tomb and he was alive again. Man, I, don't, I want every one of you guys to know the thrill of getting to tell someone about Jesus for the first time. It is really such a rush. But for some of you, if, if you invited kids and families to, to come to VBS because it was honestly easier than actually building a relationship with them, I'm so glad you invited them to VBS. But we want to help you grow from there. An event like VBS is supposed to propel us on to continue to be faithful throughout the rest of the year. I know a lot of you guys did this. It was so cool as we were getting closer to VBS, hearing from so many families about how there were friends and there were families and there were coworkers or there were kids from the soccer team. And they'd been seeking to reach out and build relationships with the parents. And sometimes they'd been able to share the gospel and some of them were really resistant to it. But they were already trying to reach these families. And when they heard about VBS, they were like, this is going to be a great help to us as we continue to reach out to these families. That's the role that that an event like VBS should play, as an additional tool to help us do what we're seeking to do all the time. Something that we do at a specific time to help us do what we're trying to do all the time. I know that our heart as your pastors, both in doing events, but then even in not doing certain events, is that we never want to confuse cheerleaders with football players. We never want to confuse standing on the sidelines and cheering on the efforts of others with the fact that God has commanded all of us to lace up our cleats and get in the game. Be faithful to pursue what the Lord has allowed us to do VBS for. That's why crew leaders, those of you guys who served at crew leaders, from the start, that's why I encourage you guys not to look at those kids in your crew as these kids you hang out with for a week and then forget about. Instead, to say, Lord, what have you brought these kids and these families into my life and my sphere of influence at this time? Help me to be faithful to what you've brought them into my life for. Even though we're going to be packing away all these decorations this week, let's not pack away what we've learned through getting to do this together. At Cornerstone, I can tell you right now that our desire is we want to build strong families, but even more than that, we want to build a strong family 
We want this to be a family. We want, that's why regardless of whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, or whether you are a kid, look at this group of people. Look at this congregation as your family. Jesus Christ brought us together. God adopted us into his family. And so whether we like it or not, we're stuck with each other for all eternity. And that is a good thing. Not only that, parents... As I said before, the ball is in your court. Your kids who came to VBS have gotten to hear God's word preached. But the Bible makes it very clear. I mentioned it before from Ephesians 6.4. I'm going to put it up on the screen. That in Ephesians 6.4, it says that fathers, in particular fathers, but mom and dad together, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We tried to send home parent cards every day, but even the point of me being up here today is to let you know, here's what we've taught your kids. Now, don't let just, this just be this one-week thing that they forget about a couple weeks later. Continue to walk through these truths that they've learned. Please, please, I beg you, please don't look at our children's ministry or our Sunday school or even an event like VBS in the same way that you look at your kid's soccer coach or piano teacher. We are not here for you to drop your kids off to us so that we can teach them. And I know for so many of you guys, you know that. And I know for some of you, your gratitude for what we get to do in children's ministry comes from just that sense of feeling like there are other people helping you carry the weight of trading up your kids. We are here to help you carry that weight, but not take it off of your shoulders. But one of the things that I, I, it's very important for me to do, we have some people in our church who love God's word and whom God has uniquely gifted to communicate clearly to kids. One of the things that I want to do, man, if you're someone who you're a new believer or maybe you're, you come on Sundays and you feel like you're learning up here and then you're trying to figure out how to bring it down here to like the age of your three-year-olds, we've got some people in our church who God has just wired them that way. They can take complex, deep truths about God and then create this really cool Play-Doh illustration where kids are like, yeah, I get it. That's not just so that we can send our kids to them and let them do it. We want them to use their giftedness. But part of using your giftedness is sharing that giftedness with others and sharing those ideas. So we, we really hope that, that what we can do, again, even from VBS, is hope to connect some of you parents who would love to learn more about how to teach your kids God's word. Some of these people who are just so great at it and have a ton of, a ton of experience. But whether you can be a part of VBS or not, I just want you to encourage us Again, if you only get one thing from today, it's this. Love each other. Seriously, let's love one another and let's love one another's kids. I know for some of you, if you haven't been in a realm where you've been around kids, it can kind of be this, what the heck is going on? (laughs) There's kids in here. I can tell you as a parent right now that when someone tells me that they want to spend time with me but not with my kids, then you don't really want to spend time with me because my kids are part of who I am. That is, that is the main role. On a, in addition to be a husband, God has called me to be a father before he's called to be, me to be a pastor or whatever else. So you tell me that you don't want to hang out with my kids because they're too crazy? Well, do you love me or not? Do you love me or not? Don't overlook one another's kids. Let's love one another as a body. Again, if you feel like within a church this size that you've got a circle of people that you know and love, and you're kind of comfortable there because this church feels too big, widen that circle. Get to know new people. Again, I guarantee you, you'll be surprised. As you widen your perspective to love more and more people within this church, this church will actually feel smaller. It won't feel bigger. It will feel smaller the more people that you love. 
As a matter of fact, we're planning another event that we hope will help us to do just that. Make this church feel smaller as we love one another better. Coming up the first weekend in October, from October 5th to 7th, we're going to be having a Cornerstone family camp out, out at Ventura Ranch, out in, in Santa Paula. It's going to be a ton of fun. And even though it's called a family camp out, it's not a, just necessarily a camp for families as it is a camp for this family. If you call Cornerstone home, we want you to be there. We're going to plan some really cool things, like I said before, to help connect parents with cool ways to get to communicate God's word to their kids. But man, if you call Cornerstone home, we'd love to have you there. We're going to give you some more information about that in the, couple, in the next couple of weeks. But, so keep your uh, ears peeled. But again, mark your calendars. It's going to be October 5th through the 7th. And my notes got out of... Oh, there it is. There it is. Last thing, again. Thank you guys so much. This was a great week. It was a privilege getting to lead this and see so many people give so much time and energy. I can tell you two weeks ago, I was kind of going, oh my gosh, how in the world are we going to do this? But it was cool because right about that time when I was going, why, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. That was when I saw so many of you guys rise up and start carrying this weight. And it's amazing when suddenly that weight is distributed amongst a bunch of people. It's like, shoot, we can do this. And that was awesome to learn to be able to do that together. We, uh, one thing I can tell you right now is that I honestly love this church more than I did a week ago. Getting to see some of you guys work, and even in particular, getting to see some of these husband and wife teams work together makes me go, man, we've got some great teams of people who can get this done. We are a people that God loves dearly, are we not? And he's growing our love for one another. But the thing I want to leave us with is what I was thinking through last night just after VBS, and it comes from John chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. But look at verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must get them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We have learned this week again to love one another and work well together. But there are other sheep who are not yet of the sheep pen, and they will listen to Jesus' voice. So let's go get them. Let's not allow VBS to just be this one and done kind of thing. Let's be faithful to go get God's people. As we preach this word, they will listen to his voice, and we will be one flock and one shepherd. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. You love us dearly. You take such, such good care of us. And you do that through each other. Thank you so much for what I learned this week through your people. Thank you just, Lord, for growing our love for one another and teaching us, showing us the way that you've arranged this body in such a way that we work well together. Would you continue to grow our love for one another? Lord, if there's anyone who's kind of sitting on the outside just observing this family from a distance, would you cause them to just pull up a chair at the dinner table and join us, join us, just jump in this with us. Jesus, you love your people. You love your people that don't even know they're your people yet. So would you get us out as we leave this building? Would you motivate us to work together to call your sheep to follow you because they will listen to your voice. We love you, Jesus. We can't wait for you to come back. We pray this in your name. Amen.